Welcome in to the Corner Three. Taking you around the arc of college basketball. From the NAAC to the Pac-12, the WCC to the SWAC. We cover it all now on 93.7 The Ticket. Here is your host, Austin Orman. Welcome to it. It's the Corner 3 coming at you live from 1040 Street here on 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com. If you're listening, you found the new time. This little ditty used to be Mondays from 7 to 8 p.m. Now we're 3 to 4 p.m. here on Sundays. And I'm excited. We're into October. It's officially here. College basketball season. Okay, maybe not in full swing. Maybe not officially here. But October is a college basketball month. Big college football month. I get it. That's a, you know obviously a big focus. But here on the Corner 3, we are a big college basketball show. Uh, between myself, uh, the couple guys that I usually have jumping on with me, Matt and Landon as well. Uh, a little programming note on that in a little bit. Uh, we like college hoops. It's our favorite sport. Uh, we like tossing ideas back at each other. Got some fun segment ideas to throw your way to hopefully work in throughout the the regular season, which starts here soon. But uh, before we get to the regular season, you, of course, have your, your events like opening night with the Huskers uh, that took place on the 29th, just on Friday down at Pinnacle Bank Arena. Your, um, you know, Big Blue Madnesses, your late night at Fog, counting down to craziness, everything like that. So in this first segment, what I'm going to do is build the perfect event. In my perfect world, what does one of those opening night events look like? I'll give you my thoughts on that. Um, and if you have any thoughts, let me know, 402-464-5685 or on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, and Twitter. You can leave a comment section. I got it pulled up right in front of me here. You see the Dell computer I'm looking at if you're on the stream. I'm reading it. I've got it pulled up to your comments if you have any. Um, and big thanks to Allo. Uh, they give us channel 951 to broadcast on as well. Big thanks to them and for everything that they do for us here at 93.7 The Ticket. We'll bring Matt in in just a little bit here because uh, he he's a Wisconsin guy. He knows a lot about Wisconsin hoops. Uh, everything down from the pros to the prep. So this is going to be the Wisconsin episode when we get to next segment. Matt's a big uh, Milwaukee Bucks fan. Plenty to talk about on that front, maybe even talk a little bit of Brewers, but primarily college basketball, Wisconsin, Marquette, the the preps to the college ranks, guys, that's going to be the focus of our second segment and an update on the the Team USA under 23, three on three team, Uh, some Husker flair, some Duke flair. That's how we'll wrap up the show. Again, 402-464-5685. Let me know if you attended opening night with the Huskers, Uh, would have been the men and the women on Friday night. The women had a scrimmage. The men just had a little bit of an open practice. Um, And that to me is a big part of something like an opening night is the actual basketball that's played. I don't think it's the most important part of something like that, but you do have to play some. Having the the dunk competition, something like that to, to get the players engaged, to get fans engaged, even bring in, you know, celebrity, fake celebrity judges have players from the other team, you know, grade or judge. I think that's a really fun idea. Um, a three-point shootout. That's something that they had between the men's and the women's team. I think that's a, a killer idea. Obviously, the men's shooting with men's balls and the women's with the, the women's sized balls. Um, that's just a fun, you know, cross-team, get everyone engaged, involved sort of deal. I would love if what happened was you brought a fan on to do the three-point competition as well. Just pick a random person from the audience. They have the same minute that the, the men's and the women's players do, and they get a cast. Just see how it goes. I, I doubt a fan would ever win unless you're pulling like a, an Eric Strickland or a, a Bryce McGowan's out of the crowd, something like that. Um, but it'd still be fun to do. That alumni factor, 
that's another thing that I think is absolutely important needs to be hammered on, right? For Nebraska basketball, maybe not a whole lot of, you know, luminaries, but training camp hasn't started yet. Why not invite your your Delano Bantons, your your McGowan's brothers, which again, I'll get to Trey here in a little while on the show. Um, Isaiah Roby was in town for it. Uh, I know Bernard Day's around. Strick is in town. Bring your alumni back, right? Celebrate them, make them feel like they're part of the proceedings. What a great way, I think, to get, get the juices flowing. Another important aspect of that to me is recruiting. This is something that I know Kansas does really well. UConn's going to try to do. I assume Kentucky's done really well. But I know it's the biggest you know, focus of, of Duke's recruiting is making sure their highest priority targets in a class are at countdown to craziness. That's coming up later this month. Cooper Flagg is making his last official visit to Duke, and he will be there uh, for Countdown to Craziness. He'll obviously be at a late night at the Fog as well as he's being pursued by Kansas, also taking an official visit to UConn. I presume he will be um, at their event here in the middle of the month. But seeing a recruit there gets the, gets the fans fired up. Seeing the fans there gets the recruit fired up. The better an environment it is, the better the sales pitch. And that's where... Obviously, Pinnacle Bank Arena is great. The fact that it can be a multi-purpose venue, house both the men's and the women's teams, uh, have concerts and all sorts of other events there. Pinnacle Bank Arena is great. I just don't think it's great for an event like this. You know, maybe it would be filled, packed to the gills, whatever you want to say, if, you know, the teams were perennial NCAA tournament teams or were coming off of wildly successful years last year. But even if that's the case, I just find it's, difficult to fill an arena like that for an event like this that's supposed to be a celebration that's supposed to be full of juice full of energy i just think you know 14,000 people isn't attainable at an event like this if you look at you know late night of the fog if you look at countdown to craziness those crowds are you know maybe 10,000 if the fog can fit that i don't even think it holds 10,000 i know um cameron indoor holds closer to 8,500. It's it's a tough place to get into. So who gets priority? The students do. That to me is absolutely huge. How do you create the best environment possible? Because that's what these are about. Like I said, play some basketball, do some basketball related things, the dunk contest, the three-point shootout, uh, maybe a skills competition, something like that. Great. The women's team scrimmaged. Okay, cool. You get to see the players in action. Um, the men's team just had 20 minutes of an open practice. Okay, whatever. As much as the basketball is the point, it's really not at the end of the day, at the end of the night. Uh, doing an event like this on September 29th also feels a little early to me, um, especially in a place like Nebraska that's so football crazed and football starved. It'll work in Durham, you know, it'll work in Lawrence because those football teams, yes, even though they're resurgent, are still basketball schools down to their core. So people will show up. But again, it's a smaller, more intimate, uh, more highly valued tradition in a ticket that's harder to get. So students are in there. They're active. They're engaged. There's still room for people who aren't students to, to come in and be a part of it. Because kind of like the Nebraska football spring game, maybe that's the only chance that they have to get a ticket that's cheaper to lay eyes on the team. So, you know, they want to see basketball, but they're there to take in the environment, in the atmosphere and to make it as exciting as possible, to make it pop as much as possible for those people, I think is just absolutely huge. Most of all, though, the focus absolutely has to be on the players. Yes, what they can do on the court, 
but I absolutely love how Duke does their intros. Nebraska set up the stage. It was fun. And again, I, I just think the environment, I don't want to say took away from it a little bit, but wasn't as juiced as it could be. Hearing the roar of the crowd whenever anyone's introduced, whether it's, you know, the freshman walk-on guard who, who's only there because he has a connection to the staff, whether it's the backup big man who hasn't played, or, you know, Pete Grayson Allen. Honestly, Grayson Allen's receptions that count down to craziness, especially as, you know, a junior and a senior, were absolutely insane. The crowd went nuts for him. I, I can't wait to see how they... Welcome Jeremy Roach back for another year. Tyrese Proctor, Kyle Filipowski, who was you know expected to declare for the NBA draft but came back to school. There are those players that you just fall in love with on a team. You're excited to see them, and then you have you know typically in Duke, Kansas, Kentucky's cases, these highly sought after freshmen whose names you've known for probably a couple of years before you actually get to see them in person. Seeing them you know walk onto the floor for the first time, choosing their walkout music—that's a huge thing. Um, I, I know at Duke, there's the tradition that it, it's, I, I know Grayson Allen did it once, but some player on the team, again, usually one of those cult heroes, I guess we can call them for lack of a better term, a, a, you know, a bench warmer, the, the crowd favorite that doesn't get in much, uh, but can, can put on a show a little bit, can really, you know, ham it up, be the, the star of the show in that moment. It's a player like that that usually comes out to every time we touch by Cascada, you know, just, just little things like that, that become traditions over time. That the school knows that gets everyone jazzed. It really brings the night up to that that peak, that crescendo. There's got to be a way to build that pretty much everywhere. Again, Pinnacle Bank Arena, great venue. If I were doing an event like this, I think it's too big. Play some basketball, but not too much basketball, right? Show the skills. Show what your players and your teams are good at. Put your your bouncy guys in a dunk competition. Put your your shooters in a three point competition. Heck, even throw your passers and your your dribblers, your ball handlers into a skills competition. What's the best dribble move you can do? There are ways to highlight the basketball and make sure people know it's a basketball event without having to go, you know, fives and run with rules and referees and anything like that, because it is still early on in practice. It's only been, you know, a couple of weeks since Nebraska opened practice up, even a week and a half, I think. So there's not a whole lot of, that can be gleaned from seeing a team this early. And that to me is the point. How do you build the buzz. Again, if I was doing this event, it wouldn't have happened on September 29th. I think that's too smack dab in the middle of football season, especially early on in conference play. It's different for Nebraska because they played uh, you know, a conference game in week one to start the year. But for a lot of these teams, this was their their second conference game. You know, it's still early. There are no races decided anywhere in any conference, in any division yet. People's focus is still on college football. I think doing these events, you know, in mid-October, later October, even if you do it on your football team's bye week, right? I think that would be huge, right? Give something for people to do when they're not cheering for a football team. I think that would absolutely drive interest, drive intrigue. And, you know, it's something just to cheer about. There's nothing to be down about, no doom and gloom. It's just, hey, we're out here having a good time celebrating college basketball. Um, and we're looking forward to the season that's coming. So that's how I would design my perfect opening night uh, with the Huskers style of event. Th there's not really a, a wrong answer, I don't think. I just think there are ways that administrators, coaches, players, especially fans, can have this set up to where it works the best for them and for everyone. That builds the most hype, that gets people absolutely the most excited, and that, that helps carry some momentum. I think that's the biggest part, too. As far away as we are from the, the start of the season, anything you can do to build that hype and momentum early to get people paying attention and locked in on a sport that's, yes, technically in season, 
but definitely not at the forefront of people's minds. That to me is the entire purpose of an event like this. So I hope we can get some more juice around something like opening night with the Huskers as we move forward here with the men's and the women's team, uh, the late night of the fog, the big blue madness, countdown to craziness. Those are staples in those communities. And there's absolutely no reason why that can't be the case at Nebraska too. All right, we shift our focus from here in Lincoln to Wisconsin. I'm not going to say a specific city in Wisconsin, although I suppose Milwaukee, maybe Madison are are the epicenters of these conversations moving forward. But we'll bring in our Wisconsin guy, Matt Hardesty, wearing a shirt. I can tell he's in the background of the stream of the recently defeated North Dakota State Bison. Bison. Sorry, not Bison. Bison. I I, I know how to say it. I have plenty of people who would have gotten on me if I didn't correct myself there. So uh, we'll bring in Matt. We'll talk some Wisconsin hoops, uh, some Badgers. Uh, some Golden Eagles, some Bucks, some Wisconsin preps, where some of those players are going. All that and more here as we continue on the Corner 3. Back to the Corner 3 on 93.7 The Ticket. Here is your host, Austin Orman. Thanks for joining me here on the Corner 3 on 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com. We're going to jump into the Wisconsin conversation. Again, I teased it. Matt's got the, the Bison shirt on here. Matt, I should probably know the, the North Dakota State connection by now. How do I not know it? Matt, unmute yourself. Hey. Lost our uh, late start, I guess, there. Um, no, there there is no North Dakota State connection. Uh, I mean, I've got some friends that have, and family have, that have gone there. So, like, I've always followed them, and I don't have a problem with them. They're always a fun football and basketball team. Uh, shout out Grant Nelson. I just, I was there for work last year. I was like, no, I'll get an NDSU shirt. And I felt like wearing it today. So. Perfect. They did lose to South Dakota yesterday. It sounds like FCS is, uh, starting to become South Dakota States, uh, domain more so than North Dakota States. Um, but Wisconsin is your domain and that's why we've got you on today. A lot of Wisconsin talk. Let's start at the top. Let's start with the bucks. Where are you at with, uh, the Dame and Giannis pairing and everything that went into that deal? Yeah, it's been pretty crazy this past week here. Uh, here, in, I mean, I live just south of Milwaukee. So, it, I mean, that I was not expecting. I mean, honestly, our group chat for the quarter three with Landon and you was how I learned about this trade. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, in the past, I was like, you know, after when the Bucks were struggling with Eric Bledsoe, I was like, you know, Damian Lillard would make a lot of sense in Milwaukee. But instead, they traded for Drew Holiday. And I was kind of like, well, this is this is why other people have NBA GM jobs and, and not myself. So uh, I kind of just assumed that that would never happen. And yeah, I, like everyone else figured, Oh, Miami or really wasn't even thinking about it. I mean, here in Milwaukee, we got a pennant race going on in baseball. You know, the Packers are playing. Uh, Everyone's trying to figure out Jordan loves good. And then, yeah, you know, the Badgers are also off to pretty interesting start. So it's like, you know, not many people were thinking about the Bucks at the time. And this was kind of out of left field, but I don't know. I think it makes a lot of sense at the time. And it's, I get skeptical of big moves in the NBA though, where it's like, okay, now who's beating this team. It feels like those are the teams that always get beat in the playoffs. So I'm not like, you know, expecting another title right away, even though, I mean, this is big to, you know, they had to shake things up after a couple of tough playoff exits and to get someone like Damian Lillard really changes how the offense works. And I'm excited to see, you know, 
not just how Lillard fits in this, but you know what that does for Giannis and Middleton and even guys like Bobby Portis or Pat Connaughton, like it shakes up all the roles, but at the same time, I mean, you're losing one of the best defensive point guards in the NBA and drew holiday. And, you know, found out this morning he's going to Boston. So uh, it's going to be a very entertaining season assuming everyone stays healthy, but I'm not like, I don't know. I also found it weird that the Bucks decided yesterday to hold a big welcome rally for Damian Lillard. Uh, I mean, it's a big getting all, but to have like a big, you know, pep rally at the Deer District outside Pfizer for this, which then got awkward because his flight got delayed. So they were all just kind of standing around for like several hours. It was like a four hour event it turned into. But it's like, and he's not even like, I mean, he's a great player, but he's not your best player. It'd be like if the Bulls held a pep rally when they added Dennis Rodman in the 90s. Like, yeah, really increase their championship chances again. But like, you already got one of the best players in the NBA. So like, I don't know, any way to make money, I guess, nowadays. So yeah, things are exciting. What's kind of the the outsider's thought on on the addition? So I don't love everything they had to give up. RIP Grayson Allen. He will never touch the ball in Phoenix. Um, I'm sure there are plenty of Milwaukee and uh, Wisconsin crossover fans that are more than happy to see that guy, that guy go. Um, I love the addition just because of, you know, hearing from you as the Bucks, you know, struggled in the playoffs sometimes with half court offense. I think Dame helps a lot with that. Fascinated to see how often it's a, you know, Dame Giannis pick and roll versus a Giannis Dame pick and roll you know James is a pop guy there's a lot of fun things that can can happen there how does Adrian Griffin you know use them fascinated to see see how that works out um I hate losing Drew right you go all in by by going and get that guy you ship out a lot for him he does what he was asked to do he helps him win a championship but I think this is just some some shrewd NBA GMing in a lot of ways where you you know you, you you thank a guy for what he did. He endeared himself to the community. Seems like a great dude, especially with everything uh, his wife has gone through uh, to be able to still play basketball at a high level, raise a family, and everything through all that. I mean, major props to him. But the the Bucks GM's job is to keep the window open as long as they possibly can. Is it title or bust this year? I mean, I think that's the narrative from the outside. But I would give these guys a year to gel together round out the roster with a couple more depth pieces. And I would be looking to, you know, obviously make a run this year. When you have Giannis and Dame, two of the top 10, 15 players in the NBA, you're never out of title contention. But to me, I think the window's next year. Yeah. And the other thing that, I don't know, I just kind of crossed my mind is, you know, Giannis has gotten hurt and missed time in almost every playoffs. I mean, I don't think he did in 2022, but this year he missed several games in that heat series. Mm -hmm. Uh, in their championship run, he missed, you know, a final few three games of the Eastern conference finals uh, in the bubble the year before that he got knocked out against the heat and missed the final two games there. So it's like, you know, he is kind of injury prone. He has a remarkable recovery time almost every time, <laughs> but there's chances he's going to miss some games. And with Damian Lillard, it's, you know, the offense isn't going to completely fall apart with, with Giannis gone. It kind of, you know, makes it a little easier to get through those potential. It it helps with the depth too. And I don't know, it'll be, it'll be entertaining though. And it's, I don't know, it's kind of uncharacteristic for John Horst and the Bucks to, to make a move for a, a big guy like this. I mean, prior to, prior to 
to this trade, like I'd say the biggest acquisition that the Bucks have made, like at the time for where they were in their career was Greg Monroe, maybe. And that was almost 10 years ago. Uh, Greg Monroe. I think he's still around in the NBA somewhere. So I was kind of surprised in that aspect too, that they actually went out and got the guy instead of, you know, trading for another Grayson Allen or, you know, another solid role player. So I was curious to see after this last year about, you know, how much of this team was going to get blown up after losing in the first round. And then I was pretty surprised, honestly, that both Middleton and Brooke Lopez came back in free agency. And uh, now it's like you're looking pretty good with, uh, you know, a core that's all familiar with each other. And then you're adding in just a completely different type of point guard. So it'll take some time to gel, but I think it helps having all those other returning pieces. So Greg Monroe played in Spain last year. He played oh. for the the Bucks in 21-22 uh, before he got shipped to the Wizards um, and then played in Spain last year. My favorite part of all this, though, is that Milwaukee got some, you know, revenge on the Heat, right? Who yeah. desperately wanted him. That's my favorite part. Like the, the, the hashtag this league part of it is that not only did Miami not get him, he went to Milwaukee, who has something to say about what's gone down between them and the Heat in the last, you know, four or five years. Yeah, it's completely, this trade completely changed up the Eastern Conference. I mean, you got Miami who really could use a guy like Damian Lillard to... Or Drew Holiday. Um, yeah, or Drew Holiday to not be an eight seed in the in the playoffs next year, which did seem to matter this year, but it makes things that much harder. Then it's like, you know, you send point guards to both of your two biggest levels of competition in the, in the East. And I don't know how Philly feels about all this. I know Joel Embiid had another cryptic tweet. Shocker. And, you know, they got the whole James Harden situation, but uh, it's, it's going to be an entertaining year for sure. And I, I have no idea how it's going to play out. Let's move to the college ranks. Uh, yes. You want to talk Badgers or Golden Eagles first? Um, I think Wisconsin is the more interesting team, but Marquette's probably the better team. Let's do Marquette so. then. Tyler Kolek back, Cam Jones back, and that's really all I know about them. Huge for Shaka, yeah. having a great year last year. They were a, a, a you know, kind of dark horse pick for me to make a deep run with that offense. Not quite Hauser Brothers, Marcus Level-esque, you know, offense-only defense optional, but just an elite defense, or an elite offense with, with slightly better defense. And then Tyler Kolek gets banged up. He's not able to go. He's not 100% by the end of the year. Is there anything else we need to know about Marquette other than it's the Tyler Kolek show again? Hold on one sec. Uh, my, I have a rabbit in my room, and she is just yes, gnawing on Asma's yeah. gnawing on cardboard off screen here, and it's it's very loud. So I apologize if that's <laughs> coming over the air. Uh, it is a Sunday afternoon, all right. Um, <laughs> yeah, honestly, Marquette. First of all, kind of a nice late segue is the fact that with the Bucks adding Dame, I think the big winner in this is people that want to go to Marquette games because uh, anytime Bucks ticket prices go up at Pfizer Forum, uh, Marquette ticket prices go down, even if they're still a very good team. So I'm, uh, I'm excited to get to some, some Marquette games. Also full disclosure, my wife just accepted a job and is working at Marquette now. So Congrats. I get uh, discounted tickets if I can't get media credentials at all this year. But, uh, but yeah, honestly, Marquette last year, I mean, they had a really good first year under Shaka. And then 
last year, I'd say it was honestly like maybe even I'd say like Jan- by mid January, like January 11th when they beat UConn at home, I kind of realized like, yeah, Marquette's going to win the big East. Like <laughs> it's mm-hmm. kind of crazy. And it, I kind of had a similar realization with Creighton in 2020 and like that early, but it's like, you get a couple of those wins. Like they beat Villanova on the road. They beat Creighton at home. Um, and I mean, they had a couple other great games. Like they blew out Baylor at home, played Purdue well on the road. Um, but it was like, once they beat UConn, I was like, no, they're going to probably get all of the wins at home. Like they're a good enough team to win the big East. And while like Xavier and Sean Miller, UConn, uh, Villanova, all these other teams, Creighton mm-hmm. even Providence. are getting all the, getting really all the chatter. It was by early January. It's like, no, Marquette's going to be the best team in this conference this year and win those games. Like you could just tell with the way they play. Like they, the defense wasn't the best, but it was still a top 50 Kempom defense. And with a top 10 offense, uh, they had a lot of returning players from last year that no one seemed to know. Even like, I mean, Tyler Kolick took over late in the year and it was kind of the face of the team. But like, even like I was going to games in January and February. And uh, even then it was like, I don't know who Marquette's best player is or who the face of this team is. Now it's Tyler Kolick. Uh, I think they had a pretty tough loss losing Olivier Max Prosper in the offseason that really hurts their front court because he was really good, but they still have, I, I believe they still have Oso Igadoro there. They do, yes. Um, yeah, he's still there. Uh, he's really good defensively, and I mean, he scored 11 points per game. So they're going to be just, again, another another fun team. They play a fun style. Uh, I finally actually, this last year, usually when I go to Marquette games, I'm there like over winter break when I was back home from Nebraska or something. So the students were never around like that, just always how it used to be. And so this year I finally went to a couple games, like when the students were back and when they fill up Pfizer forum, that place is loud because about half of it is students. And it's, I mean, they, they fill it up. Like it's cause again, tickets are kind of cheap. So it's going to be a, a pretty tough, uh, tough environment and they've got some some fun games this year i know they go at illinois i think they host texas and notre dame in their non-conference i think the texas game is at home i don't know if that's a a neutral but yeah it's it's a friday night game or no december 6th i think that might be a saturday so they've got illinois in the gavit games that game yep. will be in uh, champagne they go to maui and they start off with ucla yeah, that's huge. And then they'll have either uh, Kansas or Chaminade in the second round. So hopefully we get a Marquette Chaminade matchup uh, in the semis in the winner's bracket, of course. Honestly, though, Marquette Kansas would be an incredible game, though. Uh, I mean, Shaka had some pretty good battles at Texas with against KU. And I think he even really whooped him a couple times, too. I'm not sure how I remember that. But and don't count out no. the Tommies. Yeah. But, I mean, Marquette's getting, like, a lot. Of, yeah, they are getting St. Thomas. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure – I don't. I haven't looked at St. Thomas's roster, but their coach loves to get a lot of the, like, Wisconsin prep players that are a little under the radar. Like, Andrew Rohde uh, mm-hmm. was there last year, had a great freshman year, was, I think, Summit League freshman of the year. And he was. Now he's at Virginia, so they, they know how to find guys like that. Uh, but still, I mean, Marquette's getting, like, preseason top ten attention by a lot of people. And that kind of has me skeptical, honestly, because I feel like in the Big East, 
it's always the team that gets overlooked that ends up actually dominating the conference. Uh, so I'm not sure like how big of the loss of Olivier and Max Prosper and just, you know, bringing that many pieces back, like makes it a little easier to scout them ahead of time. Like, you know, what adjustments is Shaka really going to make with this group? Uh, but they also bring in a couple, like they bring in three, four-star freshmen. Uh, I'm not sure how much of a role they'll have, but that's, if, I mean, Shaka barely uses the transfer portal. Didn't get anyone this year. I think they added one guy last year, if I remember correctly. So I'm curious to see if those guys, if that continues and these are guys that fit his culture and his system. And if they're really building like a year over year contender, or if this year, you know, some of their offensive efficiency, you know, takes a dip and they're like a top four big East team, or even maybe even lower than that. It's kind of a big year for Marquette to kind of maybe assert themselves as, Hey, we're like a top four team in this conference year over year. Cause they haven't I, been that since they joined the big East. They haven't, which well, since the big know, East reformed, <laughs> right. The, the real big East that we know and love again. Yes. Um, I, like big Marquette guy, I love their color schemes. I'm rooting for Shaka. Just seeing his evolution as a young coach at VCU, making those Cinderella runs with the, uh, the havoc style to making it, you know, work a little bit here and there at Texas. Like Shaka wasn't bad at Texas. Right. Just think about how big the expectations were for him. So, no, he didn't live up to the expectations. But that, that's not to say Texas was ever, you know, bad under him. But being able to come back home to Milwaukee, seeing the, the growth in style from him, the, the, ability, the ability and the willingness to, to shift how he goes about his business is huge. I, I like that much more as a personality fit for him again, going back home. Transfer portal is definitely something to monitor. I'm with you on I'm not buying Marquette as a top 10 team right now. I mean, top 10 player in the country and, and Tyler Kolick, probably. Even that, I'm not sure about. I, right. He's got to prove it. He's got to do it all year long, not get banged up at the end again. I feel comfortable in saying they're at least a top five team in the Big East right now. Uh, I think Xavier drops with some of the news that's come out of, out of their camp over the summer. Yeah. Um, Creighton's going to be good. But Creighton's got to prove that it can, you know, avoid pulling a Creighton. We'll see what, what UConn looks like, you know, off the national championship. Providence, you know, losing Ed Cooley. That's huge for them. Like, that's a, that's a solid team that lost, you know, head coach and a lot of interesting players. What does St. John's look like? I mean, there's always going to be that competition. Does Nova bounce back? Like I said, always competition in the Big East. I, I want to buy in on Marquette. I think that's a, a top 25 team. Top 10, though, yeah. I don't know if I'd have them there. I think top 25 is, is very reasonable for them. I think that's a good, safe expectation. Now, if they have a big Maui and, you know, they beat, yeah. what, UCLA and Kansas <laughs> out there in Honolulu, uh, boy, they're going to, like, they're going to get a massive Maui bump, like potential number one team in the country type deal. Mm -hmm. So that's assuming they win all three. But, I mean, still, that's uh the big east is just such a bear and it's so much fun honestly too side note about the big east i'm sure we'll get into them a lot before the season but just the power vacuum in recent years since villanova like quit dominating it and really it's more about all these other programs have stepped up to catch up as yeah. well. like creighton uh yeah marquette now xavier at times yukon like it's a fun conference in that now with jay wright gone there is kind of a a little bit of a power vacuum of like, who's going to be the top dog in this. And I think a lot of people just assume UConn is, and it's very well that UConn could just, you know, dominate this year. They have the potential to honestly, with the pieces they bring in, but you know, with 
Donovan Klingon being out, potentially missing early in the year. Who knows how healthy he'll even get? Uh, you know, big men with leg or foot injuries, I think it is. Foot injuries are the worst for big yeah. men. Yeah. So, um, like, we we both had our teams go through that. So, I'm not <laughs> sure if they're going to be dominant. But still, just the power vacuum and just the amount of talent spread out across this conference is going to make it a, a really fun year after, like, Last year, the Big East was awesome in itself. Like, honestly, I was just thinking about it, too. That Marquette at Creighton game in in late February, early March, was one of my favorite games of the year where it was just, like, crazy intense. Shaka jumped, like, five feet in the air after uh, <laughs> after pulling out the win. Like, that's, that's turning into a classic rivalry. You know, as someone that – and honestly, side note on that, like, someone that's lived in Milwaukee and been around Omaha a lot, like Creighton and Marquette are kind of the Spider-Man meme where they're kind of this, the same program and like same school, similar size city. It's just Milwaukee's on a lake and Omaha's on a river. Council Bluffs. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> so I'm, I'm looking forward to those matchups too. I know Creighton comes to Milwaukee December 30th. So going to be a fun little uh, pre new year's treat there. Anything more on Marquette or can we move down to Madison? No, I think we've uh, I think we've covered Marquette again. I, I have I just want to add again. I have my eye on like Trey Norman. I don't know much about him. He was fringe ESPN top 100 recruit. I think he's a guard out of Massachusetts. Uh, just definitely looking at his profile though. Like seems like someone that could be very successful in the Big East. So I don't know. Don't know again how many how much of a role some of these freshmen are going to. Fascinated to see. Okay, Wisconsin, back to the Big Ten. Same state, just a little bit down the road in Madison. I have refused, absolutely refused to buy in on Wisconsin all offseason. I get the post-NIT run bump. I get that they're better when they're old. I just do not believe in Greg Gard's system. Playing two big men the way he does that they can't shoot. Like, I don't think Chucky's the problem. I don't know if he's the solution. Asijan and Klesmet don't inspire me. Um, I am on the Gus bus. Big shout out to Gus Yeldon, who I'm sure oh, you... We're going to talk about him. <laughs> Perfect. I'll give you the floor for him here in just a sec. But Wisconsin is just so blah, so uninspiring. Like, yeah, they'll probably find a way to get 17, 18 wins again like they always do. But they don't really have a ceiling, right? Their ceiling is standing up. That's really what it is. I mean, maybe they'll they'll take me by surprise. Maybe they'll find some, some stretchability. I am just not buying the Badgers. I think that the way this works, especially just I've had my eye on Wisconsin's athletic department as a whole with everything, again, being at Nebraska for as long as you know I was out there and being as engrossed in that department, I'm starting to see some of the early seedlings of, you know, some of the stuff that went on with like Sean Eichhorst, Bill Moose, like, you know, they got a new athletic department director in Chris McIntosh already made a kind of shocking move with, you know, Paul Chris getting fired mid season. You just Frank Solich move. Yeah. I think this year with Wisconsin, it's going to end in either a coaching change or Wisconsin wins the big 10. And I don't know if there's much of an in-between. Okay. So, I mean, Wisconsin, that's the thing people forget. I mean, yeah, they're very, boring and forgettable, but like Greg guards won, you know, two of the past four big 10 championships, uh, regular season, of course. And I mean, he's had 
surprising amount of success given you know how unwatchable they are like he's made pair of sweet 16s early on uh one two big 10 titles in years that like the big 10 was absolutely loaded too so i i think last year was a little bit of a rebuilding year you know brad davison's finally gone uh <laughs> but this offseason they didn't and they brought it the other thing they finally went a little young and I think that's where I want to start this Wisconsin discussion is actually at a volleyball game I went to last year. Uh, so last year decided Wednesday night, Nebraska volleyball was playing at Wisconsin. Never been to a game in Madison for volleyball. So me and a couple of friends, uh, we made the drive up and watched, you know, I think Wisconsin swept them. That's usually how that goes last year. <laughs> but kind of sitting nearby us, in the gym. And then we ran into them again at Canes was the entire Wisconsin basketball team. <laughs> and to put it lightly, they're little, hmm. like it was kind of, you know how some teams there's like the airport test where it's like, you see a basketball team walking through the airport and it's like, Oh my gosh, like that's a that's basketball, basketball team. team. Yeah. Like you take the, the W off of their chests, off their track suits and you throw them in an airport and it kind of might look like a high school team. Like they look, I mean, part of it was they were very young last year. They brought in like Connor Siegen and mm-hmm. a couple other, you know, I think, I mean, Stephen Crowell is still kind of young, but I think the main one for me is Tyler Wall. Like he is very small for Maybe being a, a front court player. He's not bad, but they're just undersized. And that's where I think bringing in the Gus bus is going to be, uh, is going to be an experience. I'm absolutely fascinated to see if he's made any uh, body transformations because he's not called the Gus Bus for no reason. His uh, <laughs> his measurements out of high school were, I think, like six foot eight, two hundred forty pounds, and kind of looks like the white roster right now. Yeah, he he's like kind of the he reminds me of like Kennedy Meeks coming oh, out of boy. high school. And maybe not as like obese as Kennedy Meeks was, where Kennedy Meeks like really couldn't play for North Carolina his first two years. Uh, but I don't know. It's like if you just do a Google image search on uh, on Gus Yardley or Yaldin, excuse me, and uh, it's like some of the pictures he looks crazy buff, and in others. Like he looks like a fan almost. It's it's quite the experience. Oh he yeah. is like where does his chin end and where does his neck start in some of I, these? Yeah, he's he looks like he played for Wisconsin though. That's the thing. Like that's that looks like someone I'd go to high school with, honestly. Wisconsin so. Playground Warriors. That's the name of the team on his jersey right now. Tell oh, me everything yeah. I need to know. Even though I think he's from, I don't know exactly where he's uh from. appleton listed on the roster okay appleton yeah i was gonna say i don't know why i thought i saw indiana i think i was i might have been thinking of uh connor siegens from there but but yeah so you you add in him stephen crowell's not a bad big man i think he really needs to take a step up if they want to you know compete in the big 10 this year and get back to the ncaa tournament but i think in the end, the reason I'm so high on Wisconsin is they've got guards like Connor Siegen's back. He's going to be a sophomore. Chucky Hepburn's going into his junior year. Mm-hmm. Uh, they added in AJ Store from St. John's, who mm-hmm. also had a pretty good offseason. I know he was on like the Bahamas Select team or something. He was playing in those games against Kansas down there. And so, beat up 
Yeah, he beat him. <laughs> I think he had a really good game, if I remember correctly. So Wisconsin, I think, again, it's always these years where they're kind of overlooked, but they bring back so much talent, and it's not like a Brad Davidson level. Like, it's these guys are a little bit more athletic. They're still undersized, but uh, but I think they have a, a very high ceiling, especially in a year where, you know, the top of the Big Ten is really up for grabs. There's not like a – there's not like a set five or six teams that are going to dominate like, you know, those years with Illinois, Iowa, Michigan state uh, mm-hmm. and so on. Like they could easily get into the top four. And usually when Wisconsin gets in the top four, they end up at least getting a share. Uh, the problem with them though, uh, do we, do we want to talk about their, their schedule? That's going to be brutal for. Oh for my fans? gosh. We have to go into it. Yes. So. First week of the season, I believe they're hosting Tennessee. Gross game. Do not watch. Yep, it's at the Cole Center. Yep, don't uh, watch. Yeah, Spare so that's going to be gross. Then they play at Providence, who I think that was one or two years ago. They had they hosted – I think that's a Gavit Games game again. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe that was 2022, the year Providence was, like, really good. Really ugly game. It was, like, 63-58 there. Uh, that game was awful. So we get a rematch of that one. Uh, then they play Virginia. That's uh, down in Fort Myers. Don't off. watch if not worse. We we really like this happens almost in. It seems like this happens way too much in these early season tournaments where we're stuck with like a Wisconsin Virginia game. It I swear it happens like every two to three years or and in the ACC sense. Big Ten. Right. I mean, it makes sense because they're big enough brands and big enough names. But at some point, if you want to sell this product on TV, you cannot continue to put Wisconsin and Tennessee and Wisconsin and Virginia anywhere near to matching up with each other. Like, it's not good for anyone. Just stop it. Yeah, it's it's going to be rough. And then they got this fascinating three-game stretch to start December. They host Marquette, go at Michigan State, and then they go at Arizona all in the span of a week. So... <laughs> Either, I mean, that's kind of like Marquette with their trip out to Maui. Like, either Wisconsin's going to have zero confidence by the end of that, or they're going to be a top 10 team. So, I'm, I'm just, I'm, it's going to be a fascinating year for them as well. And, uh, yeah, I really hope that the Gus Bus gets, <laughs> gets a lot of playing time. But with Stephen Crowell, who knows? The Gus Bus would be in the, in the top handful of guys I would pick for Big Ten freshman of the year. Like, he's good, even if he does need to, you know, cut out the Culver's a little bit. Like, he's, he's still got some basketball skill. Um, to your point on the schedule, too, the reward for that grind is they get to host Chicago State. Yep. That's maybe the I most think, important uh, game that anyone's going to watch all year. I'll be honest. I'm thinking about going to that one. <laughs> yes, do it. December 22nd, I don't think – I think I'll probably be off of work by then for Christmas. Like, you know, why not take the family up to up to Madison for some quality uh, Midwestern hoops? <laughs> Or something like that. Also, let's just say again, Chicago State is in the process of applying for an FCS football team. We need this to happen. We absolutely. I think we just need to mention that on every show till it happens. We can we can put it in the the hashtag discourse just to make sure we we mention it every show. Um, got about seven eight minutes left here on the corner three. Austin Norman joined by uh, Matt Hardesty. All right, Matt, I do have to ask you on the Wisconsin preps level. Uh, is it Con Knupel? Nupel? Nepal? Nupel. I, I had to okay. Google it before because I was very nervous I was going to butcher it. Okay. I tried Googling it and saw different ways to say it. So, yeah. Nupel, 
He's going to Duke. The first player from Wisconsin to to head out to Durham since Jalen Johnson in that weird, you know, 2020 class. Jalen Johnson, I mean, I'm sure plenty of people in Wisconsin, you know, have that saga near and dear to their hearts with him, you know, going there and then down to Florida and then coming back for half a season, goes to Duke and then sits out the back half of the season and, you know, banged up a little bit here and there. Weird situations, you know, from the time he was in high school to college. Good player, not elite player, starting to carve out a role with the Hawks. But now Con Nupel comes to Duke, six foot five. My first impression is like slightly, you know, pudgier Luke Kennard. Is that accurate? I haven't gotten a chance to to watch him play yet. And that's gonna change this year because I mean Wisconsin Lutheran is the school he's from, and they're one of the better high school programs in the state, honestly. Like I, so I cover prep sports for Racine, uh, Racine County, and they match up against Wisconsin Lutheran a lot of times. And he's, uh, he's lit him up. He does honestly though, when I, when I look at him though, he does have a lot of like the Luke Kennard type profile in that he can just, he can flat out shoot. Like he, he when he gets hot, he is like, <laughs> again, it's, it's Luke Kennard or, like Casey Tomanaga level, just mm-hmm. like in fuego. So I'm uh, I'm really looking forward because Wisconsin Lutheran they've been a really good team. And also, side note on them, uh, they also had a player. His name is Jordan Glenn. He collapsed due to like heart issues in back to back seasons, and like literally was like unconscious and made full recoveries from both of them and. Uh, still ended up playing for Wisconsin Lutheran. So just shout out to him. Uh, he's in an offense that, I mean, they score like a hundred points a game, which is really hard to do at the, <laughs> at the prep level, but they never really, I've never really gotten to see them at state because they've always been in the same sectional as uh, this other suburb of Milwaukee, Pewaukee. I know mm. not confusing at all where you have <laughs> Nick Janovich, a name familiar to Nebraskans. And they have a few other guys, like I think Milan Monsilovich, who's at Iowa State this upcoming year. He was top-rated recruit. He also went to Pewaukee. But they've just always kind of had Wisconsin Lutheran's number. And they're in the same conference, and they play each other twice this year. So I am very much looking forward to seeing, you know, two of the best shooters in the in the state of Wisconsin and in this upcoming recruiting class overall. Uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing them face off twice and – they just redid the sectional assignments this year. So there's a chance they might play a third time at the Cole Center. Ooh, now at the Cole Center, sign me up for that. Yeah. Um, I've lost tabs on Seth Trimble. Where is he? What is he doing now? North Carolina. Uh, eventually, ah. we're going to have to discourse North Carolina. <laughs> yes. um, he honestly was one of their, by the end of last year, was one of their more like consistent <laughs> freshmen and a guy that, you know, in the Caleb Love saga, I saw a lot of Carolina fans saying, you know, we should just play Seth Trimble more and kind of move on from him. So I think, you know, I think he's going to have a bigger role this year and we'll hear from him. He's another one that really didn't get much flack for for leaving the state. But uh, this uh, Con Nupel one really, I think, kind of hurt Wisconsin because it was like, I think Wisconsin and Marquette were both going after him heavily and he really like shot up the rankings this summer. He must have I haven't been that closely following the AAU circuits, but he must have really had a big AAU summer. Cause I mean I thought he'd be a top 100 player, but top 16, like 
that was like, he could be a McDonald's all American. And that's, that's crazy. Kind of like Tyler hero. I never thought like in high school, it's like Tyler hero. Like he's a good high school player, like top 50 probably, but like good enough where Kentucky's like offering him like one of their top spots. Like that kind of surprised me. And sure enough, he, uh, he played up to that level and then some. That's awesome. The last thing here before we have, uh, the Husker Extra Hour, we'll have uh, Sam McEwen first and then Tom Chattel um, on the Husker Extra Hour next. Uh, team USA, the three-on-three team, the the under-23 version of that team, bringing home the gold. They outperformed the, the World Cup team, thanks in no small part to two players near and dear to at least my heart. First of all, huge shout-out to the man-myth legend Trey McGowans. He won MVP of this entire tournament. Team USA beat uh, Team Israel, I think it was 23-8 to eight to win the gold here today. And right after that, Trey McGowan's named the MVP of the entire tournament. He led the tournament in scoring, so that is absolutely awesome for Trey McGowan's. Big congrats to him. Joining him on that team, my boy, one of my favorites from, uh, <laughs> not Wisconsin, but very close to Wisconsin, from Minnesota, Matthew Hurt. That's a guy that just completely disappeared, you know, Larry Bird looking shot, kind of Ryan Anderson with the Rockets 2.0 was kind of surprised he left. I think he could have, you know, really been in the running for, you know, one of the all time, you know, Duke players had he stayed all four years, um, but he leaves, uh, takes his offensive bag with him and goes and helps Trey McGowan's win a, you know, FIBA three on three under 23 gold medal. So I just want to shout those guys out. Trey McGowan's Matthew Hurt, tip of the cap to you, gents. Yeah, Matthew Hurt's another one. He, I think he was kind of a victim just of that of the COVID season where big time, uh, kind of again, yeah, very forgotten. And if he had came back for K's final year, I mean, I don't know, maybe that hurts the role that Mark Williams had on that team because I, again, you know this, like Mark Williams, honestly, was probably one of my favorite Duke players over you know the past ten years for just the way he played and what he brought to those teams. Like he was just always in that positive on him. And, you know, Matthew Hurt didn't have that kind of impact. But I mean, also, I'm seeing here uh, the Grizzlies signed uh, Matthew Hurt yesterday. So, uh, yeah, I totally missed that. Good for him. Yeah, pretty good. Uh, pretty, and Michael Mulder, who was a very forgotten uh, yep. Kentucky shooter uh, who <laughs> really didn't do much in college, uh, was kind of like their ninth man. And then, you know, <laughs> ended up playing for the Warriors, having pretty good couple seasons there. So look at our forgotten players, uh, making the Grizzlies. Um, side note too, I eventually, I really want to start learning more about just three on three in general. Cause it's like, I always recognize the names in it and I have no idea like what makes a good three on three player, what like goes into the selection of them. And just like, you know, is this really going to be like, like, is this going to be like college could college basketball have a summer league kind of like, you know, there's college beach volleyball now. Yeah. Uh, like, I, I feel like there hasn't been much talk of that. And I, I don't know, like Robbie Hummel was playing three on three a couple of years ago. Like also I'd like to learn more list. about it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's fascinating just to know, you know, like you said, what makes a good player, what are the differences? Like, you know, is there room for like a, you know, traditional rim protector or is this a, you know, a guards and a wings type of game as spread out as it is. Definitely want to dive into that. Just a minute or two left here, Matt. The Brewers, NL Central champions, they're headed into the playoffs. Where are you out with the crew as they enter October? Yeah, um, it's been a very fun, uh, fun summer up here in Milwaukee for work. You know, with especially in the summer with no high school sports going on, my bosses let me 
spend a few weekends at the old ballpark and working on some stories for uh, the Racine Journal Times. And that's been fun getting to know the team. They've got a really good culture this year. Like they, uh, they don't let the, the highs get too high or the lows get too low. Like it's kind of like every day, it's just like a day at the office where it's like, a lot of times it feels like the work they put in before the games is more important to them than the actual games in that, like, I don't know, they're, they've got a good mindset though. And I think that's how they ended up, you know, winning the central fairly easily this year. Um, it's going to be tough. I mean, how, what happens now when it's like, you know, you're in a best of three wildcard series next week against Arizona or Miami. Uh, I don't know how it's going to change. They got a young team. Well, it's sort of young. It's it's a really good mix of like elite pitching. And then they brought up, you know, Sal Freelich, Bryce Terang, a few young guys that have had really big roles. And then, you know, pretty good bullpen that's been shaky at times in September. So they, with their pitching staff though, with, you know, Brandon Woodruff, Freddie Peralta and Corbin Burns. Uh, I mean, there's, especially in a best of three and then an AL or an NLDS series. Uh, that's a pretty good group to throw out there. And then Wade Miley of all people has been really good. He's still kicking and pretty Miley. much been a starter all season long and put up really good numbers too. He's had a few shutouts and uh, they've got the potential to make it to the world series, but also, you know, the offense is a little inconsistent and the Atlanta Braves exist. So uh, it's uh, they wouldn't have to play Atlanta until the NLCS. But it's it's going to be a, a fun few weeks here, especially if they uh, get by Arizona, which is if it's Arizona, which I believe it's going to be because they're losing right now. That's going to be a really tough matchup because Zach Gallen and Merrill Kelly have really had Milwaukee's number this year and several starts. Uh but that was also way before the trade deadline. And uh, I think they're also going to have to pitch on short, short rest this next week. So I'm hoping to get out to American family field. I unfortunately did not get credentials for the, the first round. The, the big guys at the Wisconsin state journal, get those instead for the playoffs. We'll see if that changes for the, the NLDS, but regardless, I'm hoping to go and, you know, enjoy another year of playoff baseball. It's, it's pretty hard to fathom that, you know, a team that made the playoffs, you know, once in my entire childhood, like from not like till I turned 15, they made it one time from, you know, born in 96 to 20, 2011. And then actually twice really from 96 to 2018. And now they've been like four out of the last five years or five out of the last six since then. So pretty remarkable and looking forward to it. There you go. That's Matt Hardesty with a look at the Brewers. Big thanks to uh, for Matt for coming on here and uh, giving us the lowdown on what's going on up there in Wisconsin. Thanks to everyone who tuned in here at our new time on the Corner 3. We'll be with you from 3 to 4 on Sundays now moving forward. Uh, big shouts to Landon. Busy doing uh, SID stuff out at Northern Iowa. He'll be back on to talk pokes, talk some Big 12 later on in the college basketball season. Uh, but once again, thanks to Matt for jumping on here. For Matt, I'm Austin. Don't go anywhere. We got the Husker Extra Hour coming up next. We'll kick it off with Sam McEwen. Tom Chattel will join us at 4.30. Talk to you here in just a couple minutes and talk to you next week on the Corner 3.